0: Welcome to Coming From Left Field, where we have conversations about politics, books, and current events with your hosts Greg Gottels and Pat Cummings. The Civil War had a greater impact on American society and policy than any other event in the country's history. It has been considered the most traumatic experience endured by all generations of Americans. Fast forward 150 years when our guest discovered a tattered cardboard box saved for him by his elderly parents. It contained diaries, photos, letters, and clippings from very distant relatives. Mentioned in the treasure trove was Hattie, the youngest child of his great-great-grandmother. Hmm. What to do with this time capsule? Perhaps a historic novel? Let's discuss. Well, here we are. Uh and uh by here we are, meaning I'm in Tacoma, Washington. Greg is in uh Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Peter Circo, where are you? Uh
1: I'm in Tuscany outside a little uh town called uh Pietro, Pietrorio. <laughs> like, I always get it's mom. It's my name. It's like must be Peterstown or something like that. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> Well, yeah. I I want I wanna say what, what the reason you're here is because uh you posted on Facebook that you wrote a book and I read this book liked it a lot uh and um ended up chatting with you and said let's let's come on the podcast and talk about your book and yeah. by uh by being a, I need to give a little bit of background about you Peter and how I I know about you my wife was a special education director in on vashon and for years you were her it uh, director you did all the technology for the school district and yeah yeah um, i think i you know sent a few emails when her when her laptop wouldn't work but one night she hauled me off to a one-man show she said we've got to go see this uh, play that uh that Peter has written, and we um, went to a local theater and watched you perform a one-man play. Um, the, the the fact of uh, you're you're often described as a Renaissance man when I when Paula <laughs> mentions you to other people, and so we've got we've got for for ta- we've got a playwright, uh, we have an author we have a um, polymath an IT director and you started as a fit when you were 50 or so you said let's let's start doing photography and you became not just a good photographer but a professional photographer am i exaggerating at all wow that really
1: sounds uh sounds great no no uh, you're not you're not exaggerating I, you know it's it was uh almost 10 years ago now that that I did that play it's hard to believe that that uh that that much time has passed yeah so um
0: yeah Good
1: yeah you tell, I, tell I think me, you got, I think you got it right
0: yeah. T- tell me about tell me about why you came up with the idea for this book so you're you're from New York, right and uh, right
1: I'm from upstate New York yeah
0: so grew grew up around this is a book about a young girl in the Civil War um, right. and her memories uh, tell me where'd you come up with this idea for this book?
1: Well, um, it started probably about uh, 10 or 12 years ago. I was home visiting my parents. My my, my parents live uh, in the Binghamton area, which is in the southern, they call it the southern tier of New York State. And um, in the room where I typically would stay when I went home, uh, there was this old tattered cardboard storage box in there. And inside this box was a bunch of books, small books of varying sizes. And the books t- turned out to be my great-grandmother's diaries. Uh, her name was Maud Murphy Phelps, and she died when I was a sophomore in college, so I actually knew her quite well. And uh, she and her husband, Earl, were were grape farmers, but they raised other kinds of fruit in the Finger Lakes region. The Finger Lakes region is just west of where I grew up, uh, the really very beautiful Finger like beautiful area, lots of agricultural and recreation. Now Watkins Glen, Cornell, Ithaca, uh, those are cities on the lake. And uh, I just became really interested after reading her diaries uh, about that side of my family. That's my mother's side of the family. Um, and um, it, But even before that, when I was in uh, high school, um, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, we went to Gettysburg, and on the way to Gettysburg, my mother mentioned that we had a family member named Powell who fought and died at Gettysburg, but that's all she knew. She didn't know like, who who he was or anything like that. And so after I after I um, uh, got these diaries, I started looking into my ancestry, uh, did a little genealogy research, and it's so much easier nowadays with Ancestry.com. That's what I used. Um, and in pretty short order, I discovered who this Howell person was, and, and his name was Hannibal Howell. And he was my great, great, great
2: grandfather.
1: So that's that's just in the genealogy terms, that's called third great grandfather. Uh, And he died at the Battle of Gettysburg, July 1st, uh, 1863 in about the first 20 minutes of the battle. Um, He was in the New York 76th Regiment and he volunteered along with two of his brothers um, in uh, 1861. And only one brother survived. Um, and that brother's name was Byron. The other brother that died was uh, his name was Tapin, and, and Hannibal um, was uh, the oldest in the family. It came from a family of thirteen kids, and Hannibal was the oldest one. So anyway, I, I just was very fascinated by this story of these three brothers. Like, well, why, why did they? Why did they do this? Why did they volunteer? They they, they volunteered to join. And uh, so I just started reading about more about the civil war and thinking, Hey, I really would like to write something about this, but I have no idea which way to do it. And, uh, you know, probably 60,000 books have been written on the civil war. The civil war is the most written about event in human history, far eclipsing anything else. I mean, it's still being written about books are coming out every day, you know, from academic stuff to things like my book and, uh, so I could never figure out, like, well, what angle would I tell the story from? And then um, probably about three years ago, I, I was looking back over kind of my resources, and I saw that um, uh, Hannibal and Charlotte was his wife. Uh, they had five children, by the way. he When he enlisted, uh, he had four children with one on the way. And the fifth child, Harriet, known as Hattie, um, was born after her father left, so she never knew her father. That's how I'll tell the story. I'll tell the story through Hattie's voice of the daughter so, who never knew her father. Um, so, she was about one and a half when she when he died.
0: So, so Peter, you were visiting your parents. You found this tattered old box with you know various letters, archives, things that was that set aside yeah. for you. <laughs> Did they? Is it? Was it? A, Yes, my, yeah, my mother had, a yeah, my
1: mother had gotten them from her cousin, Donna, um, with me in mind. My mother, you know, I'm kind of known in my family as the person who collects photographs and so on. And so, yeah, my mother got those uh, with me in mind. Um, and, and the diaries had very little personal information uh, in them. It's all about what she did day to day. And one of the very interesting ones that I think you'll both appreciate is uh, in 1960, with the election of uh, J.F. you know K. and um, and Nixon, uh, she was a poll worker in her little town, and I guess there was some dispute about the, the counting of votes. First of all, so she notes that there was they were they stayed late because they couldn't figure out. But in but in her diary entry the next day, she's she's lamenting the fact that J.F.K. has won, and she's concerned about the country because there's a Catholic pres there's going to be a Catholic president. Um, uh, it's very sweet, but meanwhile, she had these scrapbooks. So that also in this box were these scrapbooks with where she cut things out of newspapers, and she had tons of pictures of the Kennedys. She was totally enamored eventually with uh, with the Kennedys, but it was very sweet, you know, to see this. She was very worried because uh, she they were um, they were Methodists, um, and so she was very worried that a Catholic was going to be. What oh else? God.
0: Well, I went back to Valley Forge for the Boy Scout Jamboree in 1964. I must have been seventh grade or so, and uh, there, uh, the Vice President uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson delivered the the speech to uh, to all the all the Boy Scouts, and we did Gettysburg and and went through all of that. What? Why did you? Where did this idea of then writing a book? You're not an You're not a. Author, you just said I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna write a book. Where did this come from, or is this just part of your MO as being a Renaissance man? You just quote uh, from this and that, and
1: uh, well, uh, f- first of all, I should say that um, um, I- I've discovered about myself that I have about a ten-year attention span, so I can do something really intensely for about ten years, and then I gotta move on to something else. So the the writing is the thing that I've moved on to. You know, I I, that's just the way I I operate. Um, For example, when you we talked about earlier that uh, you know my work with the school district being an IT guy, when I just happened to be on the staff, I was a counselor at the time uh, when the internet came to the district, and I got drafted just because I knew a little bit more than everybody else, which wasn't a lot. And you know, I just basically had to figure that job out on my own. So it actually fit real well with my way of operating. I, you know I'm not much of a planner. I just I just jump into something and do it. And fortunately with a book it, it appears to have turned out to be you know an okay book. You know it's a readable book and it tells a, um, a, 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 an interesting story and that's kind of what I wanted to do. I, want, I wanted to tell a story for young kids um, to know something about the war. Although, although, I didn't know I was writing for the younger audience, I just was writing. So,
2: Greg, any thoughts about uh, Hattie yeah. and uh, this I, process? I'm not much for narrative writing. I'm not much for uh, novels. I read very little. I used to but years ago. I was very much interested in in fiction, but but I still love uh, historical fiction. And we had a we had a guest on who did a a fictional picture of the Paris Commune. And like you, he, he really had a fascination with the politics and the history of the Paris Commune, but he fictionalized around it. And I've always been curious when you write that way, do you decide in advance whether you, how much you want to fictionalize and how much you want to, you know, really emphasize the history, uh, uh, what actually happened? I mean, how do you balance those things and 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 how's that play?
1: Yeah. Um... Well, for me, it was you know there were many many holes in the story. I'd actually have very little information about any of those people. Uh, you know, Hannibal, uh, Byron. Uh, I actually have quite a bit of information about Byron. which I'll tell you about Um But uh, I didn't know much, so I I, I had to like make, make, pretty much make it up. So so where I stuck to the facts was was you know um, I was able to. A, a history of the New York 76th regiment, which is the regiment they served in, that was written by somebody shortly after the war. And so that helped me to know where they were, when, and what they were doing. Um, and so I was able to use that to say, you know, I know what they're doing. And so I just kind of throw them into the, into the, into the story. And so most of the letters that you, you read, uh, written from her uncle, uh, byron telling about the war are are, are a lot of those are first hand accounts that i've read in various you know uh, publications um uh, you know about you know there's one store story one letter about about it uh where he tells of being at night and they're they had to sleep on the battlefield and they're pulling bodies to hide behind bodies so they don't get shot you know in the middle of night well that's that that didn't really happen to them But that's a true story from from somebody that served in the war. So I I read firsthand accounts, and there are a lot of firsthand accounts from the Civil War. It's just unbelievable. You know, because people wrote letters. That was the other thing. uh, Writing was very big during that time, and writing letters back and forth, uh, the the Army realized that uh, to keep troop morale up, they had to to, um, support that. So Post- they had postal details that followed the troops around and so letter writing was a big um, a big deal during the war so there's a lot of correspondence um, and I even have letters from Hannibal Hall which I'll tell you about at some point
0: So I have a confession to make uh, I you know immediately got the book and started to read it and I was about a third of the way through it. I mean I enjoyed the book but then I'd hear this, Well, and then they had muskets, and the muskets were, this is what a musket was, and it's kind of, you know, I'm going, well, he doesn't need to go, and I I know what a musket is. He doesn't need to explain it or whatever. And then I stopped, and I went online and read the uh, reviews on Amazon and realized this, I was a third of the way through the book before I realized this was a young adult's book. (laughs) You're writing this for a middle school, I don't know, what would you say, 10 to 14 year old, this, that range that, and, right. um, and that's why the, at times the descriptions would, would stop and you would elaborate a little bit to give people some content so they could follow this. Why, why did you choose this young adult fiction genre? I mean, do you have grandkids that you're trying to well, oh, my grandkids are all, all,
1: all young, up the low five. Um, you know, I, I didn't know I was writing, I, I thought I was writing for young adults. Um, that's what I thought I was writing. And, 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 uh, my first editor, um, uh, after she read it, she said, well, you're actually writing for a middle grade audience, which is a little, even a little bit younger. Um, so I just had quite, you know, really didn't quite understand my audience, Uh, exactly, but I knew that I would have to explain things, and so that's, you know, that's kind of why I had to do it that way. Uh, uh, It was interesting, I was just home about a month ago, my my parents are still alive, they're in their early 90s, and I was, uh, one of my friends has read the book uh, back there, and he, I just, I found out that he's a gun collector, and he has um, uh, rifles, muskets, and rifles, From the Civil War, and so I was down in his basement, and he was—I have some videos I haven't posted them yet—but I was actually holding, you know, real Civil War muskets, you know, in my hands, you know, with a bayonet on the end. Wow, it was really something. I mean, those were—I mean—they're beautiful weapons. They're all like handmade. uh, But wow, yeah, yeah, there they are. Yes, yeah. So I was holding those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I put this nonfiction section in the back because so I wanted to be able to explain things, you know, that you read through during, during the you know in the book. Right,
0: right. A, a lot of sensibilities of a young woman, too, and uh, you know, a powerful young woman that's that's uh, focused and driven and good good ethics and loves her family and you know, that that was good too. And this this who the person on the cover is your. Great 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 grandmother, right? No. <laughs> oh, I, no, no. Okay. That's not. Okay. Good. That's a good question. I um, thought I that thought photograph- that, oh, you found this in the shoebox. And no.
1: Yeah. No, there is a pictures of her in the back. There are real pictures of her. But the only pictures I had of her, there's a there's a uh like a studio photograph of her, her and her husband Earl and uh their son or her and her husband Arthur, excuse me, and their son Earl. Um But I I had no good pictures of her that I thought would be for a cover. And so that photograph was in my great grandmother's one of the, her in the box, that was in the box. And about three months ago, I figured out who that was. I knew a name, but I didn't know what a a relationship. So that's Hattie's husband, Arthur's sister's daughter. And her name is Minnie Lawn. And it's such a beautiful photograph. It's, you know, probably from about 1890, and, I mean, it's just absolutely perfect, and it's a beautiful picture of her, and so I I use that for the cover, and I, you know, the, when I talk about the dress in the story, I'm, I'm modeling that dress after the one that she's actually wearing, you know, with a watch on her shoulder and and so on, so, yeah, that's yeah, where this, I got that from. This
0: is your, this is your scrap that's her that's your scrapbook here and i'll I'll make a bigger bigger picture for you so that's that's Hattie. yeah yeah when, yeah uh, that's that's, was, that's that's the real Hattie.
2: when i was i my family didn't have any real uh written records i mean they were uh on my mother's side were italian peasants i guess I, they were very bored so there was very little i could find written about them to capture the flavor that you've captured and uh, but what I did do when I was I don't know, uh, twelve I had a sack uh, tape recorder that was given to me by I think my sister and uh, I just sat down with my grandmother and let her talk, and I made three oh, wow. reels, four reels of that, broken Italian, broken English, and broken Italian and broken English, and uh, but it but but there were things that surprised me and you know, when you let someone talk or when you discover. Uh, Things from your family heritage. There are things that surprise you. What did you find when you opened that up that might have surprised you? Was there anything that you deleted? I mean, that you you found there that you didn't want the world to know, or
1: no? Well, other than uh, other than uh, what I did realize was um, just how hard of life that that being a you know a, a farmer. I mean, they were a farming family. And so, like I said, she her diaries are talking about her day-to-day life. So every entry starts off pretty much with what the weather is, an important thing to a farmer. And she talks about what she did. She swept the house, she baked this, she did this, she did this. Well, now if she swept the house, she swept it with a broom. And if she baked it, she's baking in a wood-fired oven. Uh, you know, she's feeding some of the people that work with them, and so on so. It, I realized what a difficult life that was, and you know. Then also again, I knew her. I mean, she was my you know great grandmother. I you know, I I was over to I you know been to her house, stood in the kitchen with her, ate her food. Um, so I just realized how difficult a life they were, and, and they were very religious. You know, went went to church and. Uh, when my mother, I, I do know this, when my mother uh, started dating my dad. My dad is you know, a Slovak background. My my dad's family's from the Carpathian Mountains, and um, uh, they they were not into the fact that my mother was dating. You know, to her, like he was. You know, he could have been. You know, a, a African American. I mean, that's that's how they view, you know they viewed uh, uh, you know my dad. And, of course, my dad went over and everybody that's happened after or after, but it was a pretty shocking. They're, they're a very white, white family. And uh, one of the things I learned, interestingly enough, and I only just discovered this recently uh, my 11th great grandfather, I have two 11th great grandpas, so those 11 great great greats uh, were on the Mayflower. So, uh, so mm-hmm. that's how long that side of my family has been in, in this country. So if your family's been in this country a long time, there are a lot of evidence of it. So that's which is kind of fun. But whereas my dad's family, they're, you know, two generations back, they're in the old country, and that's really hard to find. Yeah. yeah like your family about, in Italy. Yes.
0: Yeah. Tell tell us about all of the nationalities in your hometown, Greg. That that
2: uh... well, you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest, really in the middle of the soy and cornfields. But what's interesting is that they found bituminous coal a hundred or so years ago beneath these flatlands and the cornfields and so that became an industrial oasis really in the midwest and what does an uh, industrial area attract but immigrants so the turn of the century sure. Italians, Lithuanians, mainly Italians and Lithuanians and of course Poles and others came but Lithuanians often settled in Chicago and so they they would sort of melt down into central Illinois where these coal mines were and uh, Italian Americans were mainly northern Italians in fact my family's from far far m- much more north than where you are in tuscany there from uh right. and the dolomites and the dolomite mountains which uh very different but uh yeah yeah i mean uh, industry attracts uh uh eastern and southern italian southern southern europeans and yeah, you're sure your, your father was a uh, eastern european
0: well yeah,
1: yeah my, well, well yeah my grandfather came over um when he was eight years old. And uh another thing I re- found out during this thing was my name is not spelled S-E-R-K-O. My name really is spelled S-Z-I-R-K-O. And um, so that, you know, there's always revelations when you start to kind of really take a look at things. You know, it, it was probably, you know, a clerk at Ellis Island just said, oh, S-E-R-K-O. And uh it sticks, you know? Yeah. No, that's yeah, you that don't goes.
2: recover that. You're lucky you recovered it because in my family, uh, we're kind of stuck with the uh, Ellis Island uh, name. Uh, it certainly wasn't the name of the Lithuanian side, it wasn't the name that they were given. Uh, it wasn't the Italian side, however.
0: Good. Well, I will link to this. I'd recommend people, uh, adults, young people, give this a gift to your kids and, you know, this is good, Peter. How's the, how are the book sales? Uh, uh you know, pretty good. You know, I, I um, uh, you know, the only, the only
1: place you could really get it, uh, now is on Amazon. Well, you can get it on Barnes and Noble too, but, um, um, yeah, it's going okay. You know, I think yeah. I've sold a couple hundred books, which is, which is okay. Um, you know, it's, it's not a money-making uh, a proposition for, for sure. Um, um but that's not why i did it i, I don't you know I, I i'm i'm almost 70 uh, you know so i you know i'm in a position where i don't have to be making money from my writing i can just you know do what i want to do so that's kind of what i'm doing
0: let's change let's change the subject um like i said i first met you when you were doing a play about your brother david um yeah And frankly, I was dragged to it. I wasn't really, you know, I thought, oh, God, here we go. And I think I even brought my son who was in college. um, And we were by the Grand Theater in a small theater. And you went out and did a one-man show. I was absolutely blown away (laughs) how powerful an evening that was. And I just I, I love the idea of being a grouchy grump going to the play and at the end of it just spending hours talking about about the play and all aspects of it. Tell me about David. Tell me about uh, your decision to become a playwright and actor. Uh, <laughs> well,
1: um, uh, first of all, uh, my brother David uh, was uh, six years younger than me. so. When I left home to go to college, he was 12 years old. He was in sixth grade. And, you know, like we all know, once you kind of go to college, you're pretty much, you know, gone. So that's kind of what happened with me. And I moved far away, uh, you know, on the, on the West Coast. Uh, my brother ended up settling eventually in, in New York City, of course. He was um, a super talented um, actor, dancer. I mean, he, he could do it all. Uh, and he died in 1992 from the complications of AIDS. And um, um, we were, we became very close. I I was very close to him, even though we spent most of our years living apart. He was the best man at our wedding. And um, um, when he became ill, he called me in March of 1988, and told me on the phone that he was HIV positive. And, you know, I, I knew, you know, I knew what that meant. You know, it wasn't like I didn't, you know, think oh you know everything's going to be fine he'll get out you know I, I knew that it was just going to be a matter of time and so we became very close we spent a lot of time together as much as we could we lived on different coasts uh and I was fortunate to be with him in his final three weeks um he died in Lenox Hill Hospital and uh, it was such a powerful experience for me that uh that I knew that I was going to tell the story someday. I, I just had no idea how I was going to do it or when I was going to do it. I just knew that I was going to tell. It just such a powerful experience. And so it took me 20 years. So basically uh, in 2013, as we were cl- coming towards the 20th anniversary of his death, or 2012 when it was coming to the anniversary of his death, I said, right, now, if I'm going to do ever do something, i got to do it right now. And that's you know kind of how it got started. And uh, I just started... Um, you know, writing, and finally I realized, oh, you know, I'm going to have to get up on stage and do this. I'm not going to write a book, although I may write a book now about it. Um, so I just decided I'm going to go on stage and do it. Uh, you know, I, I what I want my goal was to bring the show home and perform it in my hometown in a theater where he performed uh, when he was in high school. That was my goal, and so the show that you saw. Uh, at the uh, Duke's Bay Theater in Tacoma was just kind of a warm up for that. That was that was the first time I'd ever been on stage. Was I don't know if you were there for the first show or the second show, the two shows. First show. Yeah, first show. So uh, yeah, I had never done anything like that before, and uh, uh, so I just it just uh, it's what I had to do. Um, yeah. And um, that, that that's the only it's it's like writing the the book. I, like I had to write it um i had to do the show i just i you know i had to so i became super focused on that i will tell you that um and it it took about everything i had
0: the name of the show is my brother kissed mark zuckerberg tell me about that title uh
1: uh,
0: i i just kind of came up with it although i i sort of had
1: a kind of a quasi dream that, that my brother did kiss him but you know of course he couldn't have because mark zuckerberg is much younger than my brother would have been. um i just i could just kind of like like that my original idea was uh for a title was i'd actually did a podcast first a couple podcast episodes um and i, I called that um my brother is dead and other funny stories uh that was going to be the original title and then i Changed it to my brother Mark Zuckerberg, but p- partly because I also I one of the things I did uh, I I called it the David Circle Project. It's all part of a bigger thing, where I wanted to find out about my brother's life. I had missed so much. I'd never saw my brother perform. My brother played on stages all over the world, toured internationally. Um, I I just there's a lot I didn't know, so I used Facebook and I had to find friends of his. So, so I met all these people who knew my brother and told all these stories and lo and behold people felt the same way about my brother as i felt he's a very charismatic fellow um, very generous uh very very funny and um and so uh, you know and i'm still friends with these people people still talk about my brother i'm i still hear from people that that have have found out about this and they've sent me stuff so people sent me videos one of his friends he used to live with. They used to make in the old days answering machines where you could record a, a message. You know, hello, this is Peter Circle. I'm not here. Well, he and his roommate used to make funny little skits. They do little skits. So I had this skit I like, played in the show. Uh, so I, I learned an unbelievable amount about my brother's life uh, that I had missed. So that was, you know, uh, uh, it was a really a, a way to heal heal myself. It, you know, that's what the show is about. It was about grief and healing. That's really what it's about. And interestingly enough, had his is about the same thing. Uh, uh-huh. And I only realized that recently.
2: Uh, I said it's, a, it's, a, it's apparently a theme uh, to discover. I mean, you really have a passion to discover uh, things about people that you're close to or could be close to. And yeah. I guess someday somebody will have to do that uh, for you.
0: Peter, I will link to your Venmo um, video that's on your webpage, which is the best 38 minutes anybody can spend uh, uh, watching a video. That was a remarkable, remarkable story that you put together about about the play and how you ended up in New York and how you discovered all of his friends. And I don't think that yeah, we can yeah. underestimate how horrible, absolutely horrible, the Reagan administration was. Uh, during this time, I was going back and looking at a couple of old videos of the press conference back in 1982 when there were just 800 people who had died. And the press secretary was making gay jokes and people were laughing right. and they were, I'm not gay, are you? You know, should we cut down on cruising? Well, I don't cruise. Do you cruise? Ha 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 ha. And the press, it is. It's a Saturday Night Live skit of how to be in a, yeah. in a inappropriate, and it was it was horrible. Yeah,
1: it, it, it's yeah, it's pretty horrifying. Well, wh- one of the um, one of the things that I did uh, starting about five years ago, I I um, I wanted to kind of revive this. My idea was to tell the story. Part of the, part of part of the function of the play was to tell the story of AIDS during that time, because if you were born after us you might not know anything about it. And so I started going to the high school and did stuff in the schools and we did some collaboration with some artists. And because my brother was a, an activist. He was a member of ACT UP, AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. And so um, um, you know I, I've been in touch with a number of my, I've become actually very close friends with several of my brother's friends who were activists. And so I just learned a great deal about the the important role activism played during that era in really bringing about the changes that have helped to save millions of lives worldwide. I mean, um, AIDS is not gone. I mean, most people, we don't hear about it, but you know, I think probably 38 million people have died of um, HIV and AIDS and an equal number across the globe are infected. So it's, it's still very real. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh... Uh, and thank you for mentioning the Thank you for mentioning the the film too, because That's another example of something else, you know, like I, I I did that. The day after I retired in 2016, I started working on that film. Uh, That's what I did. That's what I did for the first six months or four months of my retirement, work on that film. i never made a film either. I'd never, never done that either. So
0: It's funny. um, You said I I taught myself a Dolby premiere and I went and started, started to work on it. And yeah, it, there's, there's just great, great parts in that film where you discover that your brother was gay, uh, from somebody uh, at the co-op. In Tacoma. In Tacoma. Yeah. Yeah. Tell that story. That's, that's your.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my wife and I were married in 79 and we moved to Tacoma so she could go to law school. And, um, I was working, uh, at the, I was volunteering at the food co-op, uh, which is, was down in, um, in the, um, uh with the 6th Avenue district down there, you know, down there. Um, and um, I was just kind of, I, the story I tell was I had eat, I was cleaning out a bucket of peanut butter and I kind of choked on the, I, you know, was tasting the peanut butter at the bottom. And this woman, the young woman and I came, you know, came over to me and we just kind of started chit chat, you know, where are you from, blah, blah, blah. She said, oh, I'm from, you know, I told her where I was from. And she said, oh, I, you know, I went to college in that town, my and my twin brother still goes to college there. I said, oh, well, my brother goes there, and she said, well, my brother's in a theater major. I said, well, my brother's a theater major, and then, first thing you know, it turns out her brother, Jim, uh, was a lover of, you know, been to my house, it was my brother's first, you know, or uh, David was Jim's first kind of gay lover experience. So, um, uh, so that's how I really found out my brother was gay. Uh, she outed him, and uh, and Jim, um, this guy, came to the show at the Cider Mill, so I, I I met him face to face. He came to the show, and um, yeah, so at um, yeah, that's how I found out. Uh, and so you tell so your, I, you, I start. I,
0: you go. You tell like, your yeah. wife Susan, I just discovered my brother is gay, and she looked at you and said, "Well, uh, every, well of course he is. Everybody knows. Him. Everybody yeah,
1: knows." No, it was, yeah, yeah. I was I, well. I, I also wanted to start the show because I know you know, somebody coming to a show about AIDS, you know, people like, well, what is this going to be like? And and so I start the show off with this story to get people, you know, one, relaxed and laughing because it's a funny story. Uh, although it's interesting, I've done it in a number of different venues and, and, and in some audiences, you know, they laugh, but they don't quite get it, you know, and other audiences really laugh and, um, and, but I did I did it at the high school uh, theater, and it was about three hundred people. And when that and you can see me in, my, in the video I have of it, I'm I'm shocked by the reaction. There's there's so much laughter that it kind of like blows me back a little bit. I'm thinking because oh, I've only done it in that little forty theater. You know, people are laughing and chuckling, but when you get three hundred people laughing all at once, um, it's it's a very interesting experience. You know, to be in that uh, kind of situation yeah
0: the way in which it's a combination of storytelling video slideshow uh you know it's just this and and then just one person telling this story this this just loving story uh it was just so powerful you know you should be proud of yourself well, yourself well, about that thank
1: you well, it, 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 again, to, just to show you how clueless I am about myself sometimes is the next day, my wife, Sue, said to me, she said, uh, you know, you really revealed a lot about yourself. Because she had never seen, she had not seen, she had no idea what this was going to be like. So she saw it the first time, just like you did. And she said, you, you know, you really revealed a lot about yourself in the show. And I thought, I did. You know, I I just, I had no idea really what I had done until, you know. Think after thinking about it, and I thought, of course, I did. And it's I was talking about myself the whole time, <laughs> you know, my journey, you know, uh, with my brother.
0: Let me change the subject. You know, be, you live in uh, both Tacoma area. I don't know, probably Vachon, uh and you have a home over on in the Medall Valley, over where my sis my live my sister lives in Twist Winthrop Win- Winthrop. Winthrop. Oh, uh, she does. Okay. She lives in Twist. Her family lives over there. She's, you know, been there. Just absolutely loves it. She's a horse nut. And every time I come to visit her, it reminds me a little bit of uh, when I was a hippie hitchhiking through the across the country. I ended up in Jackson Hole, and it was a little hippie place. People are making belts and selling. You know, it was it was a funky little place. And when you go to Jackson Hole now, it's the you hear private jets flying in and out, in and out, in and out. And oh, right, that right. is the same thing that happened with the, uh, we did a podcast called Dividing Paradise with a sociologist from, I think it was Wazoo, who studies what happens when poor rural country, company, uh, parts of the country, end up having all of this affluence come in and it's happened in uh, montana and it's happened in idaho and it's happened in boise and it's happening in winthrop and it's it's in in one sense it's great because you get this you get a lot of money coming in and you get a lot of, of wealth coming in but in the other sense it's hard for people that are there that continually getting are getting displaced with the cost of housing and so forth uh you know you go to vale i went to a wedding in vale and was chatting with all of the people that uh, are living in vale that are working there not one of them lives in vale they have to take an hour to an hour and a half bus ride to their you know their apartments because it's too expensive there i don't know what's your what's your thought about this dilemma of these just Beautiful parts of the country that um, get this imbalance, if you will, an imbalance of uh, poverty and wealth, and you know, people. Everybody loves the country and they love where they're at, but it seems to throw things off kilter a little bit. What, what's your thought about that?
1: Well, um, uh, it, it's interesting because um, so I'm part of that. You know, I'm part of those people that move someplace and and, right. and do something. Right. Um, but but what what I'm also aware of, uh, particularly in Winthrop, and and somewhat true on Vashon, too, uh, is that um, the the people that have moved like we we call ourselves in Winthrop 206ers, you know, we're come we're coming over from 206 uh, area code. Uh, generally speaking, uh, broad generally, uh, uh, all the all the social services, the arts. Um, that are happening in, the, in that community and Bashan too are, are the result of people from the outside, you right. know, doing that. And so right. people are trying to address these issues. And there's a really, you know, there's a big housing coalition on Bashan. Uh, similarly, uh, in Winthrop, uh, that that's happening too of, of building affordable housing uh, for teachers and so on. So, you know, I mean, that's just a hard one. I, I don't. I don't don't know what the answer is but i but i my observation is that that there's also a, a lot of um you know services that have come along that 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 are instituted by uh the people from the outside that they they have money they're willing to put their money back their time and and um uh okanagan county where winthrop is is like one of the poorest counties in the state um so uh you know my wife volunteers at the food bank when we're over there and um, so that I mean it's a difficult one I I don't know how you you stop it from happening Um, Right. you know certainly people you know benefit you know selling their properties you know they're selling their 20 acres to people like me and you know they're making a quite a bit of money uh, um, from it but but you know what do they do you know where do they live or where do the people live that work at the bakery or or work at the post office and so on. So I no, I I don't know, but I just I just know that that also has brought a degree of um, enhanced enhancement to the to the communities as well. So it's it's not necessarily a liability always, but you know people are being generous and um, so on. that's what yeah. I could say about yeah
0: it. yeah. You're a photographer, and you're not just a guy that takes pictures and posts it on Instagram. I mean, you've had professional shows at the art museum. And, um, how, uh, did yeah. be- how did you become, how did you get an interest in photography or, uh, where did this, where did this come from?
1: Well, I, I've always really been interested in photography. I was just always fascinated on, you know, I love old photographs and so on. And, um, uh, all of that happened after I turned 50. I, I, I fact that I don't know if you really begin remember the how the how my the show opens the one man show opens, but it's a voiceover and I and I tell the story about turning 50 and how traumatic turning 50 was because I had the sense that more time had passed behind me than I had left ahead of me, and that if I hadn't done all these little things that I thought I wanted to do, if I hadn't done them by 50, I wasn't going to do them. But of course, everything I've done. This happened after I turned 50. uh so uh so it's um I well what what happened at that particular Junction of my life we um we sold our house on Vashon at the time and moved to Tacoma to a condo in Tacoma you were li- you and Paula were living around the corner down in that condo what was that called well the, the uh, lo- we were um, in the, the lo- Perkins the Perkins building yeah right. yeah so You guys were there at there, so we were down at the Thea's Landing, right next to the Glass Museum. And um, uh, my wife, who my wife Sue, who's uh, I always like to say saw the artist in me before I saw it in myself, uh, gave me a gift of a a workshop with a with a photographer in Oregon. And I went down there and I spent a week with him. He told me at the end of the workshop, he said make the Museum of Glass uh, your Yosemite. We'll talk in reference to Ansel Adams. You know, Ansel Adams, you know, lived in Yosemite. That's partly why he was able to catch all these iconic. When you live there, you could you see it in all kinds of life. Well, I live next to the Museum of Glass, and I live downtown, and so I thought, I'm just, you know, I had nothing else to do. I didn't have a house anymore, I didn't have a yard to mow, I didn't have blackberries to... And so I just started taking photographs, and um, Um, and of the city you know I just I totally every day I'd go and walk around the town and um, um, and then I amassed this uh, large um, you know this these iconic kind of photographs of the museum in all sorts of situations and I just asked them hey I've got all these photographs would you be interested in having a show there And, And so one thing you know happened and it just happened so, yeah. uh, interesting. Uh, so, um, one of the things I've learned is is I'm not really great at at asking. I'm I'm not really an extroverted kind of guy. But uh, if you if you ask for things and you're ready with the with the goods, people will respond to that. You know. And so I asked at the museum, "Hey, uh, can I? You know, would you be interested in, in showing these this work?" And um, uh, one thing led to another. So um you know, I, I'm willing to take some risks. I, that was a pretty risky thing to do. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it, all, it all kind of worked out. And I don't and I really take photographs anymore. It just i've like I said, I've kind of moved on, you know, um uh, I just don't have that kind of drive i' I'm just interested like I have a this ten year attention span, and so, um you know and maybe I'll return to it. And the only thing I do, uh, regularly with photography, as I I photograph, um, for, I used to photograph for Tacoma Opera, Vashon Opera. I like I like doing theatrical uh, production photography. I really like doing that, and so I have thousands of production photos from opera and so on. So that's kind of what I do
0: now. Well, I'm I'm glad that your uh, ADHD went untreated because it gives us <laughs> so much good art, and we haven't even mentioned your baking and your. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we could just keep going and going and going. Anyway, Pete, yeah. Peter, you're you're such an interesting fellow. I'm. I want people to. I want people to uh, check out your book. I definitely want them to check out the Peter Circle Project, and maybe I can even find a few links to your photography. I lived at the same time and in. Uh, in coma and would go around taking pictures and and when i look at your pictures of the same things i was seeing and my pictures you know you realize that um i i'm not that good <laughs> and you are which is that's <laughs> that's just just oh, like going oh, oh, into oh, a oh, restaurant oh. and getting a great dinner you realize that sometimes chefs can just make better dinners you think you're a good cook no you're not go to Go to that place, and you'll yeah. see you weren't. So.
1: Well, well, well. Uh, thank, thank you for that. But one of the things I realized uh, during the writing of my show was uh, once again uh, my brother's impact, the death of my brother's impact on me. And uh, uh, my, if I hadn't mentioned it, uh, my brother's last words to me before he died was, "Listen to your heart." And I knew what he meant by that, but I had no idea how to live that. And it took me you know it took me 20 years to kind of figure that out and to kind of come to grips with it. But one of the things I realized uh, one day I was sitting in my house looking at a group of my photographs on the wall, is that I saw my brother in those photographs and 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 when I, and I tell this little story from the show, it's, I don't see his you know, like I don't see him, I don't see his image, but I see the impact of his death on me and that I see it in those photographs. And so, um, and Ansel Adams talks about that. Ansel Adams quoted as saying uh, there's two people in every photograph, the photographer and the person viewing it. And so, you know, when you look at one of my photographs, you're seeing what I see, but you're also putting yourself into that. And so the skill of a photographer uh, is is your ability also to help the viewer see what you want them to see. And that's what Ansel Adams was good. He was really good at Helping you put yourself into that photograph. So um, I really credit everything I've done. I, I I give all credit to my brother just to give me that little bit of a push. And that you know again it was a horrible, tragic, terrible thing to happen to my family. I wish my brother was still here with us, but um, the, it was such a a blessing for me really as a as an artist. You know I mean it you know it just it it totally changed my life finally for the good. Um, and um, so, uh, so thank you for yeah. uh, let, letting me talk about it. And thank you, and thank you for um, recognizing, you know, the, the deeper story um, in the, in the play and, and, um, right.
0: and the book too. Yeah, Greg, you had an impact of your sister too, didn't she? She got you into college. She was, how much older was, was your sister than you, Greg?
2: I was born in 33, I was born in 47, I guess that's what, 14 years.
0: Well, that's a big uh, get gap.
2: But I was lazy, and I had no ambition. Uh, high school, uh, my nobody was very successful from my high school. And um, she wrote all the uh, applications for college and trying to get money, because we didn't have enough money to send me to college. And I'm appreciative of that. I mean, that's why she's with me now. I mean, I appreciate what she did you know you don't have any ambition it's always it's always great to have people that push you and i think that's the story (laughs) of my life is finding people that didn't find them they found me but they pushed me right so when i hear people talk about how they're self-made i uh i don't believe it i don't buy it i think everybody owes a great debt to other people you owe it to your brother i owe it to my sister and many many other people
0: right right it's been fun, Peter. You know, you when you come across the ferry uh, and come to to uh, Ruston, there's a brand new uh, bakery that opened up in that that building right before on the other side of the street of uh, Antique, and it opened yesterday. We went down and got. Oh, really? It is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. It's the Do they make breads or 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 is it pastries. Make breads. Make it's gluten free. And which kind of freaked me out a little bit, but it's just that it is it it is great. It's the same woman that did the Wren, um that did all the interior design as a hobby. She's a pastry chef, and she's good. And it is, uh, it's gonna be uh ten pounds in my life uh, added because of that. Yeah, process. that's way too close. It. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: yeah, way too close. Yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah. So when well, you know, about- uh, I should tell you. I should tell you, I don't live on Vashon anymore. We sold our house and we moved to Seattle. We have an apartment in on Lower Queen Anne.
0: Yeah. No kidding. My, my, yeah, my, yeah. Sister, my, my sister lives there in the old high school in Queen Anne on the hill there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gosh, mm-hmm. well, we need to get together uh, one of these
1: times. Particularly, like if you come out to Twist and see your Sicily, so we should let's stay in touch with that. I like, definitely, like see you.
0: I, I will not come to Twist without visiting you. And uh, if we find myself up by Queen Anne, we'll we'll text you and give you a give you a call too and see what's what. I'd love to see you and so So, thank you. Great, Alexi like Paul. Good, thank you. Yeah.
2: thank you.